Welcome to Think Over Here, the show where we pop all over the world and talk about different peoples, cultures, and their stories. And today we're going to be thinking over in Turkey. And we're going to be talking about the Hagia Sophia. Now, just uh, for those who don't know what the Hagia Sophia is, the Hagia Sophia is a big, beautiful, was originally built as a cathedral back hundreds of years ago. Uh, by Justinian I to replace the church. And then later on, it was converted into a mosque. Recently, it was converted into a museum. And then more recently, in fact, just this year here in July of 2020, it was reconverted from a museum back into a mosque. And so this building has undergone a lot of history. And a lot of people are fascinated by it because it just sits in between these worlds, uh, the Western Europe and Eastern Asia. It sits between Christianity and Islam and baked in, literally baked into the walls through the art, you can find relics of both Christianity and Islam. So it's just a fascinating building and has just tons of facts. So I guess this is kind of like a trivia episode almost as we're going to be talking about the Hagia Sophia. And so this episode, if you listen closely, may one day help you in your trivia night if you're ever asked a question about the Hagia Sophia. And it's important because I remember back when I was in high school, I was part of the high school quiz bowl team where we talked, you know, where they had to ask you questions, kind of like Jeopardy, like game show style, Jeopardy style. Uh, and you would compete different schools asking questions about history, art, culture, science, math you know, just a grab bag of trivia questions. And I remember one of these questions, I knew the answer, but I just mispronounced the name of it so horribly. Uh, the The answer was the Tales of the Genji, and I, I said the Tales of the Genie. And I don't want that to happen to you. So listen closely so that you actually learn what these are so you don't make the embarrassing mistake of referring to an ancient uh, classical piece of Japanese literature, the Tales of the Jinji, and call it the Tales of the Genie and make your team lose at Trivia Night, like I did. So yeah, but while we're not talking about Jap- Japan today, we're talking about Turkey, we're talking about the Hagia Sophia. So let's jump in. So... The Hagia, Sof- the Hagia Sophia, what does it mean? The name, it means something along the lines of holy wisdom. And it is built, it is lo- it, and it is located in Istanbul, Turkey. And you can't really describe it with words. The best way to look at it is to look up an image of it. But it has this huge, magnificent dome. That's probably the most striking feature. And then on the outside, it has these four tall pencil-like towers these minarets and uh just on on the corners of the building and then inside it just has beautiful art mosaics it has these columns that were actually sourced from one of the ancient seven wonders of the world the temple of artemis and it has pieces of brickwork from egypt i mean i mean this building was just sourced from many different countries and cultures and so it really is you know people talk about america being a mixing pot the Hagia sophia now that's a mixing pot and if you look up 
pictures of the mosaics in the Hagia Sophia. Look, uh, you know, you can just see this beautiful tire work, tile, tire work, beautiful tile work, uh, where you can just see just the detail and the art of these faces. You can see the folds and the robes and the clothing of these Christian icons. It's fascinating. They also have, I liked this, they have a door. And the wood of this door is supposedly made from the wood of Noah's Ark. The It's called the Emperor's Door. So, and if you remember last time, we talked about that coffin that was hanging above one of the doors. It has a lot of different, it has a lot of different stories associated with it. But we talked about how there was an, a snake that was able to get in. But you got to go back and listen to the other episode if you want to learn more about that. Now, the Hagia Sophia, it was originally built in 537 AD, so the 6th century. And at the time, it was the largest building that, had, that was, had ever been built. It was originally built by Justinian I as a cathedral. And Justinian I built it because the original cathedral that was located where it was, uh, was burned down in a fire during the Nika riots. And as part of settling down the Nika riots, Justinian promised to rebuild the cathedral. And he just went over the top with it and created the Hagia Sophia. And we got to, okay, we got to jump into the Nika riots here. Because when I was reading about this, I was just absolutely amazed. Just the Nika riots are crazy, man. I mean, I went down a crazy rabbit hole. So basically imagine if sports fans, like the Super Bowl, imagine the Super Bowl was going on and then middle of the, middle of the game of the Super Bowl, all the, fa- all the fans started to riot. They gush out of the stadium and start burning everything in sight. Just these crazy sports fans that's and then what's more they're not just burning everything in sight then they nearly overthrow the government that's basically what happened to the nika riots okay so yeah so let's talk about these nika riots so it all started in january of 532 a.d now again this is the sixth century but to put that in perspective this is just a few years before toilet paper would be invented in China. So we are pre-toilet paper here. Dark times. And at this time, Istanbul was not yet built. In its place was Constantinople. So we are talking about Constantinople, 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 Turkey. And what happened was, and in Constantinople, there was a huge hippodrome where they would have these gigantic horse and chariot races. And we're talking about a big stadium here. We're talking about it could hold 100,000 people. So that's the Hippodrome. And in Constantinople, there were these major sports fans, the deems. But these deems, they didn't just, they weren't just sports fans. They were also these political powers. I mean, you can imagine kind of like Republicans versus Democrats here. So... They would cheer on their favorite teams, but they would also cheer on their favorite political agendas. And they were classified by these colors. So there's the blue deems who would cheer on the blue team and promote blue politics. And there are the green deems who would promote the green team and green politics. 
But at the head of all this, this is there's the emperor, Justinian the First. He is the emperor, and the deems they're always trying to you know promote their different political agendas, trying to throw Justinian the First under the bus. And the reason that Justinian the First can continue to control the empire is because the deems are funny amongst themselves. So here we have this kind of delicate political balance between the blue deem, between the green deem, and Justinian the First. And so one day, the green deems and the blue deems begin fighting amongst themselves. And the fight gets big enough that seven of the leaders of both the green and the blue deems were sentenced to be hanged at the gallows. And so they're all prepared. They're all about to be hanged at the gallows, lined up, ready to go. And then snap, the gallows break. And and the deems, seeing they chance, they book it. They're gone. They they disappear. They run into a church crying sanctuary so that they're not going to be arrested again. Meanwhile, all the people, all these different uh, factions of people, they see that as possibly a, a sign from God that the leaders, they were spared from their hanging. And so the people, they're crying out to let the deems free let them go meanwhile the deems they're locked up in the built in the church building because they can't leave because if they leave the guards will arrest them and execute them immediately so that's their thing stands and then another race comes up with hippodrome and so everybody gathers into the hippodrome everybody's excited to watch the horse race and during one of the lulls of the horse race, it wasn't uncommon for Justinian to be up in his box watching the race. And then the people in the crowd, they could call out to Justinian. It was kind of like ancient day Twitter, I guess, where the people could make contact with Justinian during these lulls in the race. And so it wasn't uncommon for you know people to be yelling at Justinian during the lulls. But this time, it was a little bit different because the people began to yell at Justinian to free the leaders of the deems, to let the blue deems and the green deems go. Because obviously they did nothing wrong. Obviously God spared them because the gallows broke. And then soon enough, the people began shouting, Nika, Nika, Nika. And again, this wasn't, uh, this wasn't an uncommon phrase that would be heard in the Hippodrome because it meant something like victory, go, conquer. You know, it was, it was how they would rally their team. But this time, they weren't rallying, rallying behind their favorite sports team. No, they were rallying to overthrow Justinian to free these deems. So Justinian, seeing that things are heating up, he leaves the box, heads back to his palace with his guard, while the people, they're shouting, Nika, they are starting to flood out of the stadium. They're starting to burn everything in sight. In fact, they, 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 they didn't hold back. Pretty soon enough, one-third... One third of Constantinople was set ablaze, burning down, including the cathedral where now modern day the Hagia Sophia stood. And now Justinian I, he's in a tight spot because the people, they're rioting. They're burning down a third of Constantinople. They want the blue deems. They want the green deems to be free. And Justinian sees that pretty soon his head might be on the chopping block, literally. And so he's planning to flee, head back to Europe. And this is where his wife, the Queen Theodora, who herself was a pretty tough cookie because she, Theodora, Justinian I's wife, she was the daughter of a bear trainer, like in the circus. 
and then she had survived years of being an actress until she had fall- Justine fell in love with her, and then she became the empress. And, th- and the empress, seeing that Justinian was getting ready to flee the country, she said, well, supposedly, allegedly, you know, according to the story, she said, if you, my lord, wish to save your skin, you will have no difficulty doing so. We are rich. There is the sea. There too are our ships. But consider first whether, when you reach safety, you will regret that you did not choose death in preference. As for me, I stand by the ancient saying, the purple is the noblest burial shroud. So basically what she's saying is, Justinian, if you want to be a chicken, you can flee, you can get out of here, you can leave behind your empire, you can save your skin. But for me, I mean, I grew up the daughter of a bear trainer. I have seen the hardships of life and I have, I like my position of nobility, of power. And for me, I would rather go down in this ship than to flee and leave everything behind. So Justinian, hearing this from his wife, he takes up courage and he decides to fight back, put an end to the riots, and get his empire back. So Justinian, he goes and makes a plan. Now the rioting people, they had already found a new person that they had taken to the Hippodrome to crown as emperor of the new empire that they were, that they were creating as they're overthrowing Justinian I's empire. But Justinian, while everybody was crowded into the Hippodrome, he calls up his personal armies and basically massacres all of the rioters, all the people who were about to crown the new emperor. A lot of people he massacred, about 30,000 it is estimated, in this terrible massacre. And in this way, Justinian ended the riot, but also to keep the peace because... He had just killed a lot of people. One, he basically promised to rebuild the city, to clean up some of the politics that the people were angry about, and also to rebuild that burnt-down cathedral that happened when they were burning down a third of Constantinople. And that was the birth of the Hagia Sophia. So there you go. Crazy rabbit hole. But again, I'm helping you on trivia night. So now you know, if someone asks you about the Nika riots, you know that it was about these... Hippodrome, racing, sports teams, fanatics, going crazy, burning down Constantinople. Justinian's about to run away. His wife says, Justinian, you chicken, we're fighting to keep our empire. I'd rather die in purple. And then uh, Justinian goes and massacres everybody. Not quite your Disney fairy tale ending, is it now? And so because Justinian I built the Hagia Sophia... There is some cool little legends associated with Justinian I and the building of the Hagia Sophia, including the sweating column. That's right. Here's up. Here's your next trivia night fact. So, there is a sweating column in the Hagia Sophia. What do I mean by a sweating column? Now the column. Now the sweating column, or is also known as the perspiring column or the crying column. It got its name because it is constantly damp. Even when all the other columns are dry in the Hagia Sophia, dry as a bone in the summer, the, hot, the, the, the sweating column will remain damp. So, so now, why is the column always wet? Well, there's several explanations. One explanation is that the column is wet 
due to the Virgin Mary's tears. And another legend describes the column as always being wet when a miracle man came into the Hagia Sophia when the Hagia Sophia years later, centuries later, is being converted into a mosque and needs to be turned to the east. So a miracle man, when he's trying to turn it to the east, makes the column wet. It's sweating. And so there's another story explaining why it's always wet. And you can fill in the blank here why the column is always wet. But it's not just wet. The column also has miraculous powers. One story says that the emperor Justinian I one day had a terrible headache as it was be after it was built and he rested his head on the column. And as soon as he rested his head on that wet column, his headache went away. So people come and they come to be healed of their ailments from this wet column. And other people believe that the column will grant you wishes. If you There's a little notch in the column, and if you stick your thumb in there and rotate your thumb and it comes out wet, that means that whatever you just wished, your wish will come true. So if it's not your birthday, so you don't have your birthday cake, you can't blow out birthday candles, it's not going to be, and your birthday's not anytime soon, you can head on over to Istanbul, go to the Hagia Sophia, and make your wishes come true there. And now the Swinning Column has supposedly done an even more miraculous thing. There is an account that a man who had constantly sweating hands, his hands were always sweaty, you know, clammy hands when he shook his hands. When he touched the column, his hands no longer con were continually sweating. So there you go. If you have a sweating problem, perhaps the answer lies in Turkey. So now that's kind of some of the fun folk folklore behind the Hagia Sophia. But let's talk a little bit about that mixing pot where it's lying right there in Turkey, right at the border of Europe and Asia, right at this confluence of Christianity and Islam. So if you remember, the Hagia Sophia was originally built as a cathedral, but then in 1453, it was converted from a cathedral into a mosque with the reign of the Ottoman Empire. And so let's talk about, you know, this confluence between Europe, Asia, Christianity, Islam. I think one of the things that shows this kind of mixing and this difference in ideas and cultures is the art in the Hagia Sophia, because it was originally built as a cathedral, a Christian cathedral, so it had these beautiful tile mosaics depicting scenes from the Bible. But then while it was still a cathedral, there was this period of time about right there, like in the 8th and 9th centuries, when there was this movement called iconoclasm, where essentially the idea was that the art was getting so good, these, this Christian art, that people were concerned that people would begin to worship the art, that the depictions of Christ were so lifelike, so beautiful, so striking, that the that the that the, the art no longer just symbolized Christ, rather it it almost was Christ, and they were concerned that people would get this mixed up, and they didn't want that. They wanted people to worship Christ, Christ, not Christ picture Christ. So they got rid of all of these images and leaving only crosses as the only acceptable icon allowed in churches. And so during this time. Many of the mosaics and paintings from the Hagia Sophia were destroyed or plastered over or taken away. 
Now after the I now after iconoclasm came back, a lot of the art was restored, a lot of art was brought back. But then again, when the mo- when the Hagia Sophia was converted into a mosque in the 15th century, the Il- Islamic worshippers didn't want these Christian images, and so they plastered over them. And I think one of the one of my favorite examples are these seraphim. So in the central dome of the Hagia Sophia, there is these four seraphim. Now, what are seraphim? So Seraphim in the Bible are these angels that have six wings. They're the highest form of an angel. Six wings. So imagine that. So six wings. And two of their wings cover their feet. Two of their wings cover their faces. And they use the final two wings to fly. So there are these seraphims holding that are depicted around the dome of the of the Hagia Sophia. And now Islam also has this own iconoclastic beliefs where they don't want to have these, where they didn't want to have these depictions of sentient beings that could perhaps be wrongly worshipped, or they also don't want the artwork to distract from God's work as God is believed to be the ultimate artist and maker. And so there are these iconoclastic ideas and so what when it was converted into a mosque the faces of the seraphim were plastered over and painted over with, with giant stars and so the seraphim art the, the faces weren't revealed until after the mosque was converted into a museum centuries later and so if you look up you can see the faces of these seraphim and they're they're really finely detailed and pretty but it's kind of funny. The faces do look a little bit grumpy. I like to imagine that the seraphim are grumpy, that they had plaster in their face for literally centuries. <laughs> but uh, I digress. And so in 1935, the mosque was converted into a museum. So it was no longer a cathedral. It was no longer a mosque. They found this nice neutral ground as a museum so that anybody can come in and appreciate the the history and in fact it became a unesco world heritage site but now just very recently in july of 2020 the museum the Hagia sophia is no longer a museum has been converted back into a mosque and so it is now an active running mosque it is still open to the public as all mosques are but it is now a dedicated building for worship for prayer and uh, so if you go to visit the Hagia Sophia, you can still see all of the artwork that is there. They aren't going to remove any of the Christian artwork. They're going to keep it as it is because it is a World Heritage Site, but it is now an active mosque, which has sent some ripples throughout the world internationally as you have different politicals and religious beliefs fighting whether it should remain as a museum. It could be go back to being a mosque or go back to being a cathedral so it's it's so again this has this interesting push and pull from all over the world and in fact there is another culture that has left its mark on the Hagia Sophia and that is the Viking culture you see because if you go up to the upper railings of the Hagia Sophia you can find several sets of Viking runes that were scratched into the marble. And now these runes, they weren't discovered until right around like the 1960s, 1970s. And it's estimated that these Viking, that this Viking graffiti is over a thousand years old. And fortunately, 
people have been able to translate the runes. And the one set of runes that can be readily translated says something along the lines of Halfton carved these runes. Or you could think of Halfton was here. And so there you go, your classic graffiti of I was here. Vikings were doing it too, man. Thousands of a thousand years ago, Vikings were doing graffiti at church. So I so again we have the Hagia Sophia, this beautiful building of mixed culture. So we talked about a lot of random trivia today. What did we talk about? We talked about the history of the Hagia Sophia, how it was a cathedral, mosque, museum, now a mosque again, how it was built by Justinian the First after some crazy sports fans burnt down the city. We talked about iconoclastic ideas where it was these beliefs of not having artwork because you don't want to have any sort of forms of idolatry or take away from God's artwork. We talked about Viking graffiti. We talked about the sweating column. So all of this is housed in the beautiful Hagia Sophia, which is of itself is a magnificent piece of architecture. So if you ever go to Turkey, you ever go to Istanbul, I, you should check it out because it is a piece of world history and a beautiful mixing bowl of cultures and ideas where cultures and ideas have left their mark, other cultures and ideas plastered over those marks, and then other cultures and ideas continue to add marks. And so we can just see these building, the, this building sets of cultures and ideas in the Hagia Sophia. It's a literal, like, time capsule of these ideas and so it makes you wonder how are you going to leave your mark in the world and so with that we need to wrap up this episode i'm i'm getting all rambly so let's head over to the question bowl it's time to go to the question bowl okay there you go here's my question you ready Okay, my question is, well, the question for me, (laughs) what is your food nemesis? And this is probably the easiest question that could be asked of me. My food nemesis is seafood, specifically fish. Growing up, anytime I had fish, I would get sick to my stomach. And I would throw up, I would vomit, I would hurl, I would lose my cookies anytime I had fish. I was, it was absolutely miserable. And I remember, so I just stayed clear from fish. I don't know what it is. I think it's the smell. I think it's that fishy oil that just, my body just doesn't like it. I remember even coming home from college one day and my parents, bless them, forgot that I couldn't eat fish without getting terribly sick. And so they, we had a nice fish dinner. I didn't have the heart to let them know that the nice fish dinner that they prepared was going to make me sick. So I ate it. And that night I threw it all up. And uh, I've slowly been getting better. I still get very nervous anytime I have to try fish, but I've had fish several times recently without getting sick so I don't I think I might be getting over it but my food nemesis is fish even though it's tasty 
sometimes it doesn't agree with me. I guess that's just life. Sometimes the tasty things, the things you love, just don't agree with you. (laughs) And you just got to learn how to deal with it. Isn't that right? So anyway, well, we got to get out of Turkey. We have been talking about Turkey forever. So next time on Think Over Here, we are leaving Turkey. Or are we? I Actually, no. We have another episode of Turkey. Scratch that. Not leaving Turkey, but we will be leaving Turkey soon and headed over to Cambodia. So get excited for that. And with that, I am out of here. Ciao. 